In this episode of The Science Behind Your Salad, we're going back to basics. In this small packet that I have here in my hand are the vital ingredients to food production. It's a bag of seeds. Simple maybe, but a packet of seeds is all about potential. And it's incredible to think that from one tiny little dot, a plant can grow that provides us with food and the energy to survive. But nowadays, we don't just plant them and wait for them to grow. The seed as salad topping market is increasing. And in most supermarkets, you can find packs of seeds in the same aisle as nuts and savoury snacks. To get me started, I'm joined by Ben Eberl. Hi, Ben. Lovely to see you. Thanks ever so much for joining us today. Yeah, pleasure. Ben is from Sorted Food. Started by a group of friends in London, Sorted Food has grown into a global online food community that turns chefs' knowledge into useful tips and tricks to help normal people cook better and spend less every week. And today we're talking about seeds. Uh, Do you grow your own produce? So do you plant the seeds yourself and, and grow produce? For many years, I've, I've loved having just a very small window box, really, in my, in my flat. But this year, um, I made my way to the top of a waiting list uh, for an allotment. So I've been experimenting with growing a lot more this year. Um, and it has been a wonderful learning curve just to, to try things. And a few have failed, um, but the vast majority have, have done a wonderful thing. And I'm super chuffed that actually now picking and harvesting loads of food and it's forcing me to do more interesting things with it. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about seeds from a culinary point of view, so us eating seeds and there's been a real interest hasn't there, real growth and interest in in eating seeds and using seeds for culinary purposes. There's been a huge rise in uh, sort of uh, Lebanese, Turkish cuisine uh, and wonderful sort of Mediterranean flavours and therefore tahini is suddenly an ingredient that is much more commonplace and you can actually pick up in your regular supermarket much easier than you could perhaps five years ago. And all that is, is sesame seeds, ground to a paste. And it's an absolutely delicious thing to use in salad dressings, in marinades, uh, put it through your hummus. So even ingredients we pick up now and love, like tahini, sometimes we forget that started as seeds. Yeah, and some cultures use seed a lot, don't they? Middle Eastern particularly. We, I, I spent four years in Turkey as a child and one of the snacks we used to eat all the time was, was sunflower in, in their husks and they were salted. You know, and so they've been eating those for generations and everywhere you go along the street in Istanbul, you see bits of sunflower seed husk on the pavement. And it's just part of their culture, isn't it? Yeah, I think certain holidays and certain seasons lend themselves more to uh, different products and seeds in particular. So... There was a big campaign last year around Halloween, encouraging people to eat their pumpkin, not just buy a pumpkin and then carve it and then throw it out a week later when it rots. Like, actually, how do we use this as a food source? But even to carve out a pumpkin, you're scooping out all of the seeds, wash them off, run them under a cold tap in a sieve, throw them on a baking tray with some oil, some spices, bake them off, and they're absolutely delicious. What do you like about using seeds in in breads and cakes? Well, definitely appearance. You know, if you're baking a loaf is, I think it's one of the most magical things you can do, but it looks even more beautiful if you can cover it with seeds um, and, and countless different seeds from poppy seeds. They might be a nightmare when you're slicing your bread and you end up with poppy seeds all over the kitchen, but they they look great. They taste great. Poppy seeds, sunflower seeds, linseeds. And then when it comes to flavour, I mean, we're so lucky, aren't we, to be able to source some amazing seeds, things like um, cumin seeds and coriander but also other seeds that really pack a punch like fennel and caraway and mustard. 
Um, they're just such amazing sources of flavour, aren't they, Ben? We sometimes forget that they're just parts of plants. Like the wonderful things about spices is frying off a tablespoon of fennel seeds before you start a tomato sauce just takes it to a whole new place. And again, it's amazing that you forget that those seeds could each individually become a brand new plant. I literally planted six fennel seeds uh, a few months ago, and now I'm absolutely loving the, the fennel fronds. So the herbs, the, you know, the leaf, the foliage that's going into so many salads and, and dressings and marinades and things. And that all came from a single seed. And so often I think sometimes we forget how simple it can be to cook. So even an example like popcorn, I don't know how many people have got popcorn kernels in their cupboard, but it's just essentially a seed. And yet we kind of are pretty used to putting those in a pan with some hot butter or oil and letting them pop and then tossing them in a few flavours. And popcorn for a movie night in is, is, well, we don't think twice about that. In fact, you can buy bags and bags and bags of them already popped with sweet and or salty flavours. But essentially, they're just seeds that have been cooked and, and all of that wonderful um, sort of starchy goodness has, has exploded out of them. And that's what popcorn is. It's, it's a popped seed. How do you think seeds can, like chia can play a part in our cuisine going forward? Some nut allergies allow you to use seeds in their place. And we did something um, a few years ago where we actually made an amazing uh, Malaysian style satay sauce, but avoiding peanuts and using other seeds in their place. And it was an absolutely incredible. All the same aromats, the, the ginger, the chili, um, the garlic and, and, and the lemongrass, but then using seeds instead of nuts. I was just going to ask you, we haven't really talked that much about using seeds in, in sweet dishes. So what are your favourite uses for seed in baked or, or puddings um, that, that you really love? I think I often associate them with pastries quite a lot um, and not necessarily the French pastries we think of. But when you go more sort of uh, Eastern European, sort of a lot of Polish bakeries, an awful lot of poppy seeds um, combined with, with chocolate and all sorts of other wonderful things into pastries. And I think that's a really interesting textural difference and striking because they're almost jet black uh, when you mix the poppy seeds with the um, with the chocolate it's a very striking kind of uh, look to a pastry as well so that's a brief introduction to today's subject but before we dive into a world of crop science and seed technology let's explore the role of seeds in history and how important they are today as a commodity here's martin one of our producers with a very quick look seeds obviously come in a variety of sizes but it's thought that the largest seed comes from the double coconut palm. The seeds weigh about 20 kilos and can be around 40 to 50 centimeters in length. The smallest seeds are from epiphytic orchids. These are 85 micrometers long and weigh 0.81 micrograms, so they are tiny. So the oldest viable carbon dated seed is from the Judean date palm and dates back around 2000 years. It was recovered from the site of Herod's Great Palace in Israel, but the earliest fossil seeds stretched way, way back. These were found in West Virginia and they are 365 million years old. When we consider the economic importance of seeds, US farmers spent $22 billion on seeds in 2018. So that should give you an idea of the importance. But as we mentioned in the first episode of this podcast series about tomatoes, Pound for pound, high quality tomato seeds are worth more than gold. But unlike gold, seeds are edible. Michelle Butler is from Good For You, 
They are a seed snack producer from Sligo in Ireland. They produce snacks and salad toppers and are pioneers of healthy eating. We, we started the company in County Tyrone in Northern Ireland and that's where we today still continue to grow all of the sprouted seeds. I guess, you know, we, we wanted to offer tasty and healthy solutions and kind of had a vision to become like the one-stop shop for, you know, like value-added salad toppers within the retailers. That's where we are today. We have over 20 products in the Good For You range and um, spanning across multiple different categories from salad toppers to breakfast boosts to snacking. We have like um, a roasted seeds, pumpkin, sunflower, and we knew we had to kind of make the proposition a little bit more interesting for consumers. So we added value by roasting them, flavoring them, maybe adding other different ingredients like pulses. And then we also do a range of snacks for both adult and children categories. So things like energy balls, roasted pulse mixes, that kind of thing. With the growing trends in flexitarian diets, plant-based proteins, all of our products are vegan. So, I mean, there's huge interest in that space at the moment. And it's not just your vegans, you know, as you say, it's flexitarians, it's people that are just trying to eat, you know, more plants, try to be a little bit more sustainable in their approach. In September, actually, we're launching a range of products into um, the UK market in reusable jars. So that's, you know, like plant protein, taste exploration, reduce, reuse, recycle. They're the kind of key drivers for innovation and growth in this space. Sprouted seeds are unique in that they are growing in a controlled environment with just the addition of heat, light and water. There's no um, soil using, used or anything like that and we plant the seed and we just let it do its thing. There's enough nutrients within the seed itself to convert it from that seed to a little baby plant. They are indeed challenging to work with. I think it's, you know, if you, first if you think about the growing conditions, you know, I mentioned that it's heat, light and water. Um, it's a warm, moist condition, um, ideal conditions for our bacteria to grow and multiply. Um, so that's why we have to, you know, enforce the highest levels of hygiene and, and monitor everything very, very closely, and particularly temperature, like of, of the room, of the water that's going into the product, of, and, and then the product itself. Also, we, we have a very, very high level of microbial testing, which we undertake from right from the beginning through to kind of at each stage of the process and then the finished product. So it, it, the other challenge, I guess, is that it's considered a living food. So like the smallest change in temperature can really impact on growing time and the quality of the final product, starting with the basic nutrients. I guess they're a wonderful source of fiber and protein because that's one claim that we can make across our entire range without having to think about it because it's naturally inherent in seeds. Chia seed um, is one of the highest richest dietary source of fiber and um, your soluble fiber. So I think it's something like 38 grams of fiber per 100 grams. But you have also things like your omega-3 and um, you hear like people saying you should eat more flax. Your omega-3 ALA, which is our alpha linoleic acid, has been shown to reduce cholesterol levels. And then sunflower seed, one of the richest sources of vitamin E. So again, helps to reduce oxidative stress in the body. And, and, and very rich sources of minerals like iron and zinc. And, you know, so they're great little um, very easy to kind of boost 
particularly well any diets but i you know i have three children i think it's great they absolutely love the meal seed and their porridge in the morning or into the yogurts or into smoothies so even for fussy eaters it's a great way of getting kind of essential vitamins and minerals but then for the sprouts the real beauty about sprouts is their antioxidants and their phytochemicals so you're getting really into the kind of scientific um terminology here but I think there's over 300 publications on sprouted seed alone and their impact on disease risk reduction across so many different areas of the, you know, it's it's exceptional, but I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done in this space. Very, very promising results and very, very exciting space to be involved in and to be part of. Crop and seed hygiene is essential for both human consumption seed as well as those planted by other farmers to grow their own crops. Of course, seeds are the starting point of any crop. And so we're going to dedicate the next section to understanding the science that goes into providing seeds with the necessary advantages to grow the best resulting produce and to look at the advances that have been made in seed technology. Let me start with uh, a uh, very ancient uh, riddle. Here's Peter Puzio. He's from BASF the head of technology within the vegetable seeds team. What was first, egg or chicken? And you can translate it to, uh, to plants as well. What was first, plant or seed? And the, the answer is maybe not important, but what important is, is the relation. There is no chicken without egg and there is no seed without plant. And um, how vital is seed? I think the plants are feeding us and the plants originate from the seeds. Um, the quality of the seeds uh, impacts the plant, the yield, the vitality, the taste, the shape, uh, everything what, uh, what is associated with the plant. So there is um, no plant without the seed. Before the seed is produced, there is um, a long process uh, process of breeding. In the breeding, the breeders cross the plants and collect, let's say, the different um, features of the plants, put together and create new variety. The next step is to improve the quality. There is a lot of ways how one can improve the quality of the seeds after the breeding by so-called seed processing. You can have the perfect land, the most fertile soil and optimum growing conditions the perfect climate and all the latest agritech that you need in your barn. But without good quality seed, you're not going to produce anything. So how do we ensure that the farmers growing crops that will feed the world get the best start when it comes to cultivation? Well, that's where the science comes in. Farmers rely on a whole range of tools to achieve optimum growing conditions for their crops. Many of these safeguards are for the crop, once it has germinated and poked its little shoots through the soil. The hard work actually begins way before then, ensuring that seeds have the best chance to grow into a healthy crop. Nicola Cannon is an historian and an agronomist from the Royal Agricultural University, based in Gloucestershire, England. She traces the start of modern seed technology back to a lucky accident in the 17th century. Here she is to tell us more. There was a shipwreck off Bristol and the boat was full of wheat and it was close enough to shore that um, people went out and collected the wheat off the boat. They found it wasn't particularly good for milling. They decided to sow it. When they sowed the wheat, they found that it did far better than 
the normal seed that they saved and sowed for producing wheat crops. The main reason this is thought to be is because it reduced the risk of bunt and smut in the crop, therefore it was growing more cleanly. For the uninitiated, bunt and smut are fungal infections in wheat. Grain contaminated with bunt spores has a darkened appearance and gives off a really pungent fishy smell, hence the name stinking smut. Common bunt, the other disease I mentioned, reduces both grain quality and yield. People came out with this theory that it was because of the salt water, the brine washing, that it, it helped the seed grow. So then people started briming seeds to reduce the risk for the crop they were growing. Probably some of the benefit that they were receiving was just from washing the seed to get off any um, spores that were sitting on the outside of the seed. And this has been refined much more as time's gone through. And obviously we don't uh, soak um, crops in seawater now or in salt. The timelines can start in BC period if you talk about the first kind of manipulation of of seed, right from the Romans, using products um, such as ground up olive waste and putting it on plants to try and biologically protect them. Also kind of hot water washing over time. In the kind of early 1900s, which was obviously um, in an industrial era, there was a lot of experimentation with things like coal tar and tobacco, heavy metals and things like this to try and encourage greater seed vigour and health. Most of them were unsuccessful and mercury came out as a kind of more successful product and that stayed in as a seed treatment for, for many years. But it did lose favour post the Second World War when we saw the discovery of organochlorides. These were the first kind of um, synthetic seed dressings and they were quite widely adopted and used up until the 1970s. They were very effective at killing pests, but they were very, very persistent and uh, were found throughout ecosystems to um, have caused toxicity in mammals and birds as well as existing in everything. So they were kind of phased out. It is also important to say that seeds that we eat do not receive any kind of adulteration. Nothing is added or taken away. What you eat is perfectly safe. Once scientists and farmers became aware of the ability to improve the building blocks of the foundations for feeding the world, a whole host of opportunities opened up. Jennifer Riggs has studied this area of agritech for nearly 30 years. She really is the authority and she's guiding us through the science involved. Along the way, most of the plants that we think about today, like corn, soybeans, even some of our fruits and vegetables, they were all wild once upon a time in nature. And we decided to um, manipulate them so they do things outside what they would naturally do in the wild. We make them produce more corn or we make them grow faster. And what really intrigued me was when I think about a teeny tiny seed, they're like small living entities like a baby. And when I started thinking about how what we were doing to the seed through our natural breeding 
and now today with some of our genetically modified, I recognize that a seed has only a little bit of energy in it to start to grow a plant. And plants that can sometimes be 10 feet tall and feed our world, people and our animals and clothe us. The one thing that all crops have in common across the globe, no matter what the crop is, they're at risk from predators. Something somewhere is trying to eat it or at least use it as a host. Threats can come in the forms of bugs, fungi, rusts, parasites and viruses. Then there are the nematodes. I'll be the first to admit that I didn't know a huge about nematodes before we started researching this episode, but I can tell you they are pretty spectacular things. Here's Jennifer again. There are insects that love to just chew away on the seed. There are fungi. They are pathogens, so they do damage the seed. A lot of times, uh, these things don't want to really kill or eat the entire seed because then they don't have a food source in the environment any longer. They have to go find something somewhere else. And microbes can't move very far. They're not like you and I that have cars. But yeah, there's insects, there's fungi, there's bacteria that what I would consider eat the seed. Jennifer has outlined some of the threats that seeds face. So what can be done to protect the precious cargo carrying the potential crop? Well, this is where BSF comes in with seed protection treatments. So you can improve a lot of properties of the seeds by priming the seeds, for example, or by coating the seed, or by pelleting a seed. Here's Peter again. So uh, the, the hardiness or uh, the health of the seed can be improved by, for example, treatment of seeds with uh, uh, chemicals, with uh, fungicides. So what we try to do is also replace the fungicides by uh, biologicals, where the function of the fungicide is taken by, by microbes um, or by heating a little bit of the seed so that any germs which are on the surface of the plant are killed. Other treatments which are given to the seed is the pelleting. You know, uh, the size of the seeds varies from different plants. So there are very tiny, very small seeds where actually to bring to the uh, soil would be very, very difficult. So what one is doing by the seed treatment is giving a little bit clay around around each individual seed so that you are creating at the end a small ball. Peter says that the best way to describe this is to think of an M&M chocolate. The peanut is the seed we, we have for the, for the farmer. The, the chocolate is actually the pelleting, the clay we put to have a certain shape of the seed. And the sugar outside is actually the coating, the film coating we put uh, together with uh, some of uh, biologicals or some fungicides for protection of the seeds. So these seed treatments are products that are applied to the surface of the seed. Some control pests, some control diseases and some control insects. But we want to hear from the farmers who face challenges every time they plant a seed. Something somewhere is always trying to kill it or eat it. And farmers across the globe in different climates face different threats. First up, we hear from Doug. We started farming in 1996. Doug Greeson farms in Iowa, growing corn and soybeans on 600 acres of ground. In our area, it's been the cool and wet 
Mays and Junes have given us the most problems. In the 21st century, you don't plant without great seed treatments. The margins are too thin to give up stand, which means giving up profitability. If you don't control the pest, you lose stand, and that translates into lower yields. And then Jervis. He farms in Brazil. Hi, everybody. Here's Jarbas Neto from Brazil. We are growing in south, the state of Paraná. We are growing 5,500 acres, soybeans, cotton, corn, potatoes. We have bugs that attack even from the root. Some bugs just eat the leaves, others just cause minor damage, but even the minor damage can be a door to the disease. Germination is such a tropical place, we have two major treats. One is the bugs attacked to the cotyledon, and also, as hot as it gets, we have burn issues to the hypocotyl that later on can be a door open to diseases. I don't consider having a crop without the seed treatment, because as I said earlier, if you don't have the bugs, which we have a lot, you have disease, even a sunburn to the hypocotyl can make a door open to the diseases, so we use treatment to the seeds. Both farmers are just two examples of millions around the globe that rely on treated seeds to safeguard the passage from seed to seedling of their precious crops. If their crop fails, so could their livelihood. So ensuring the seed is in the optimum condition when they plant is vital. And for that reason, many of the world's farmers are connected to the ISF. The International Seed Federation is the voice of the private sector. They are completely independent, but act as a representative of nearly 7,500 seed companies from around the world. These range from family-owned businesses to huge regional businesses, cooperatives and multinationals and everything in between. And the Seed Federation covers a whole diversity in terms of the range of crops, from field crops to vegetables, from forage to turf crops. Michael Keller is Secretary General. Today we are living in the time perhaps of one of the biggest crises we ever had with COVID-19. We have 20% more people suffering from hunger this year than last year or two years back. Today we're in a time where the food production are critical for everybody. It is absolutely critical, first of all, as seed uh, representatives to be part of the discussion. We are today in the decade of action to achieve the sustainable development goals. That means there is a real urgency to come together and to discuss together. And what better to discuss this in a food system summit where we are thinking on transforming our current food systems to achieve the sustainable development goals. We are all facing climate change. I mentioned we have an increased issue with hunger. How we can accept this? There is this urgency where we see by these dialogues, by these proposals, there were hundreds of game-changing proposals sent also to the UN Food System Summit. That's exactly what we are looking for. Let's work together. That's the philosophy with which we saw also the seed sector to be part uh, of the discussion. It starts with a tiny seed. That means there's enormous responsibility also 
from private sector, but also from farmers, from all those involved also in the seed value chain to provide seeds for farming. Also, sometimes of seeds that were prepared for sowing purposes could be edible, like grain or some cereals. But there's somehow a big difference between high-quality seed for sowing and the seeds that were produced for human consumption. First and foremost, high-quality seeds contain the genetic information that enables farmers to produce a plant variety with desired characteristics. The other aspect is that the physical parameters of high-quality seeds go through a series of processes, cleaning, priming, and pelleting to produce a seed lot that is free of other materials such as other species. Our priority here is to bring the seeds to the farmers in order to give him healthy, improved varieties to address the challenges the farmer is facing in his local area. And Michael, what are the important messages that you are going to be feeding in and have been feeding in in dialogues leading up to the Food System Summit from a seed sector perspective? We elaborated very early in a very early stage um, a seed declaration. And, and this seed declaration signed by hundreds of companies is really here also focusing on what are we doing and what can be our contributions also in the achievement of sustainable development goals and in the transformation of food systems. We clearly think that, for instance, quality seed can help to alleviate poverty by boosting yield and yield security and supporting farmers also to nourish themselves. As mentioned, COVID is really a destructive crisis when you look on the increased number of, of hungry people. We need to produce more because when we look on 2050, we need to even to produce and, and the production are 50% more for 2050 to fill in the gap, uh, the nutritional gap we have. Improved varieties can help to increase yield. You have studies in, in Europe showing that in nine major crops, you have an increase of 20% in the last years. We need also produce more protein sourced food such as whole grains, legumes, fresh vegetables, or even orphan crops. That means it is clear here, we cannot stop today. We need to continue. I'm always saying there is no sector out there who is investing such a high amount of its turnover in research and development. 15 to 20% of each company going every year in investing. Can we live in a world where 1.3 billions of tons of food are wasted? plants wasted during transportation. That means we have to increase our capacity for better shelf life. And we have to coordinate also with value chain. The private sector and the seed sector needs to be seen also as a contributor when you take the Sustainable Development Code 13 on climate action. Seed can contribute to capture carbon through extensive root systems. There are things we are yet fully involved. There are other Innovations, we need to continue to engage. And I think that's exactly what we are looking for. We can contribute. We are not the only solution provider, but we are an essential one. Innovation is a vital aspect of the seed market. On the face of it, it may seem quite simple. 
Farmers buy seed, they plant them and crops grow. It's not that simple though. And this is where BSF has stepped in to attempt to transform the way the seed market functions. In Australia, BASF has been building customer trust via a new scheme called Pay at Harvest. It allows farmers to sow and grow seeds without paying a single penny until the crop is harvested. William Hoon is from BASF Australia. The program was brought in as we realised that cash flow was one of the biggest challenges faced by growers and we wanted to make it as easy as we could for them to access our great canola varieties with easing the pressure on them during one of the most critical times of the year for expenses. Another great initiative we offer is called Replace My Seed. And this is all about giving assurance that if things go wrong during the planting window, BSF has them covered. It was designed to reinforce the high quality levels of our canola seed varieties and also give growers peace of mind. How it works is relatively simple. If growers purchase BSF hybrid canola varieties and they fail to establish during the first 45 days after the sowing window for reasons beyond their control, BSF will simply replace the seed. We think this is a great initiative as it really offers peace of mind. Responses from both these initiatives have been very, very positive. We're always looking for new ideas on how we can get closer to our customers and growers. Something we're very keen to explore is the digital space. We're very keen to explore how customers can access and get more detailed insights into our products through various online platforms. Every seed contains the potential to impact our lives. It's amazing to think that all of the fruit and vegetables start as tiny specks. What is more astonishing is that scientists can improve the seeds to meet the challenges of farming in an ever-changing world. Kermit Price works in research and development his job is to see what benefits he can bring to the seeds that he studies. What sort of innovations and technologies are being used in, in the seed area by BASF? If we start um, kind of at the basic level, it's at the breeding stage where we're creating superior germplasm. And traditionally, that's been done through the uh, classical breeding efforts. So basically looking at phenotypes or how the plant looks. Now, as we kind of enter this digital age that we all live in, now we kind of go into the genomes, the gene makeup of the various crops. And through analysis of that, we can better select our best performing material so that if we think of a normal distribution of any cross or material that we would put in the field, we can kind of select that top performing segment of, the, of that normal distribution. And so we focus our efforts there. So we're selecting the best of the best that's identified through the digital tools. Then as others in the industry are doing, so we have our GM approach where you know we're looking for those naturally occurring traits maybe in other species but that provide us opportunity to be more efficient in the way we manage our crops and then maybe the last point i'll mention too is native traits so those that naturally occur in the crop species or maybe related species that we can easily cross into our elite germplasm elite material that will come 
And these combinations help us to create a germplasm that's more effective at producing high yield, but also it brings some defensive mechanisms uh, like disease resistance or uh, pest resistance or maybe some efficient traits like being able to grow in drought conditions or flood conditions or whatever. That's kind of some different areas that we're working on and, and the goal always being to provide the best product that we can to the grower. What I'm also really interested in is once that seed is in the hands of farmers in, in a bag on his, his or her farm, how do you ensure the quality of that seed once it's planted? We have very rigorous standards that we, we go through to ensure that the seed that we are providing to a grower <clears throat> meets specific requirements. So, and we go through purity checks during the production process, which is kind of at the end stage of the R&D cycle. Once that seed goes in the ground, we want it to come up. So there's metrics that we use to analyze the vigor of that seed so that once it goes in the ground, it does come up and, and give the potential for the best harvest possible. Sustainability is a huge criterion for us as we move forward and whether we think about trade innovations that uh, enable reduced pesticide use or enable increased production of material on existing land or maybe even areas that have been compromised for whatever climate or environmental reason, that aspect that we're bringing into how we breed, how we bring different traits to market is all about sustainability. I do want to m mention one more thing because I, I would be remiss if I didn't, but hybrid wheat is a, a big innovation that we're working on and we've kind of characterized it as our blue sky opportunity. The opportunity that we have there to build milestone yield achievements by, by taking advantage of the heterosis that we can achieve through hybrid crops and applying that to wheat, which is one of the largest crops grown in the world, is a huge opportunity for us and we're very excited about that, being able to participate in environments that may have been compromised and, and increase our op yield opportunity in those areas. I know our teams internally are very excited about all this innovation that we're bringing to market. And um, yeah, we look, look forward to advancing it, getting it into growers' hands. And it is a big job and we're glad to be a part of it. And we're glad to be enabling growers with the, the best opportunity to be sustainable as possible as we move forward. It's reassuring to know that the greatest minds in agri-technology and science are currently working hard to ensure that the planet has a ready supply of the best available seeds, using every ounce of knowledge and innovation available to them to try and feed a growing population. As we have established, seeds are more than just the building blocks of life. We can grow crops to feed the world with them, and without seeds, farmers are unable to produce the foods that we love so much and the crops that keep us alive. And we can eat them themselves as delicious snacks, packed full of energy and flavour, or we can use them as part of a wider dish. The passion demonstrated by the scientists and experts we have featured in this episode really show that the seeds industry is in good hands, as farmers and innovators strive to provide food for a future where bugs and a volatile climate will play an increasingly challenging role. Thank you for listening to The Science Behind Your Salad, brought to you by BASF. Search for us wherever you get your podcasts and follow or subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.